Hello, hello, you fabulous interior design professional. Welcome to Business of Design. I am Kimberly Selden, your host, and I'm actually advocate in chief at Business of Design. I advocate for all of us in the design industry. Of course, it's so selfish because I am a full-time working interior design professional with a whole bunch of clients and projects. So yeah, I cop to the fact that it's self-interest that keeps me passionate about this topic, no question about it. But you have no idea how much it helps me just to be accountable to all of you and to check in with you on a weekly basis. I'm really excited about this episode, episode 270. I may have said that already. This is How to Protect Yourself from Litigation with Jamie Lieberman of Hashtag Legal. I had a conversation with Jamie, gosh, it's been a really long time, uh, and we're finally getting to air the episode, but she is lovely and works exclusively with creative entrepreneurs in her legal business. I know you're going to like Jamie, and I know there's valuable insights in this episode. Now, I'm going to tell you the conversation starts with me asking the million-dollar question. Hey, it's so difficult these days for interior design professionals to legally handle procurement of goods and procurement of trades. How come? How can you help? And the reality is Jamie doesn't have an answer. No one really has an answer. It's not that Jamie is lacking in some way, but she does share some insights on ways you might want to think about protecting yourself. And she takes a cautious, I would say conservative approach, which I guess if you're seeing clients who are in deep trouble, you would also want to take a cautious conservative approach in that she talks a great deal about the various layers of protection you can surround yourself with so you won't find yourself in a situation where there's litigation. And she reminds us all as well, like it's not like one day you wake up and you're getting sued. There's a whole bunch of conversations that happen. You know it's coming if you're going to be served with a lawsuit. And by that point, you will have reached out to knowledgeable counsel who can get you through it. I thought it was important to share Jamie's expertise and advice because so often, so many of you will say to me, you know, I would love to do procurement and hire the trades, but I'm not allowed to. It's not legal where I live. And I have been on a quest to make it work. What's the workaround? And one of the obvious workarounds is you become a contractor. Now, in some places, that's really simple. You pay some money, poof, you're a contractor. In other places, for example, in Toronto, it involves a fairly lengthy training process and an apprenticeship. So that makes it extremely difficult to go that route for most of us. I do know, however, there are some of you who think, you know what, I am super happy to just sell my expertise. And you're doing that with either an hourly fee contract or a flat fee contract. For you, that's exactly what you want. And you don't want the responsibility of having to worry about procurement or trades. And for some of you, it's a hybrid. You know, I'm happy to do procurement. I've outsourced that task, but I want nothing to do with hiring the trades. So I get there's a spectrum here. Having all the information can be fundamentally so helpful as you're making a decision about how to run your business. 
Jamie's advice will suit those of you who do not want to directly hire the trades. And she makes a great argument for why that is a reasonable choice to make. A couple of big takeaways for me. Uh, One, if you have something in your contract you think is extremely important, something that will protect you from litigation. For example, if you don't hire the trades and the client does, for me, that is a big red flag. I would want to make sure to limit my liability. In those cases, you can have your client's initial beside that sentence where you have a disclaimer not just sign at the bottom of the contract, but actually initial. It's just another layer of protection. It's like that Swiss cheese defense, right? Every layer of protection does a good job, but not a perfect job protecting you. When you combine all these layers of protection, your contract, your insurance, your behavior, you can provide yourself with a good amount of protection. Another big takeaway for me was Jamie's experience that, in fact, the biggest protection against litigation is to have that conversation with clients and do what you can to mitigate whatever they're unhappy about. For me, that means taking ownership and responsibility for the things that happen on my job site to the extent that I can. And for each of us, that risk assessment is going to be different. Now, this conversation was so good, we actually separated it into two parts, and the second part will air this week as well at MoBOD, episode 25 MoBOD, that stands for More Business of Design, and that is the members-only podcast. There are no commercials, no interruptions, no sales pitches, just get straight into good information. And Jamie dives more deeply into contracts and what you need in your contract to protect yourself, which is member level information. And we are happy to do that for our members as our way of saying thank you so much for the real support you give Business of Design. We can't do this podcast or any of the work we do at Business of Design without your support, and we really appreciate it. Ooh, more incentive to become a business of design member. Do you need more incentive? No, you don't. (laughs) I mentioned last week that we have two episodes coming up with lawyers. This is the first one, episode 270. And next week, episode 271, you will meet Thomas Nation, who is a solicitor from London, England. And he is going to share a workaround that he uses with some of his clients. Now, both of these guests, both of these expert lawyers will tell you they are not in a position to give anyone listening to the show direct advice. You absolutely want to get counsel from someone who is familiar with local and federal laws so you are always compliant. Let me tell you about Jamie now. She is an attorney, a podcaster, and an entrepreneur. Her podcast is called The Unbusiness Podcast. Her firm is dedicated to making legal accessible, and she wants to share the message that working with a lawyer doesn't have to be scary. Jamie leads an all-female virtual team focused on providing clients with a wide range of advice on subjects such as intellectual property, contracts, privacy, general business law, and more. You can reach Jamie at 
jamie at hashtag hyphen legal.com. And she'll remind you of that again at the end of the episode, but it's always there in the show notes for you. So go to businessofdesign.com to find out more information about Jamie. As I frequently do when I'm into the conversation and having a great time with a guest, I totally gapped and forgot to ask Jamie her design intervention, but she had provided one to us in her application. And I really like it, so I'm going to read it to you. This is from Jamie Lieberman. The best piece of advice I ever got was learning how to be comfortable with failure and embracing those moments rather than running from them. When I left my full-time legal job after I had my first son... I started a second blog, a mom blog, and it failed spectacularly. These are her words. Looking back now, I know that was because I wasn't true to my voice, and it was a subject I wasn't truly passionate about. But without that failed mom blog, I never would have launched Hashtag Legal because it introduced me to the business of blogging. I love this piece of advice because too often we focus on the most recent failure instead of all the success that we've had because failure hurts so much when it happens. But I've learned as well, and thanks, Jamie, for sharing that. I've learned as well that, boy, when that door closes, sometimes the most wonderful opportunities arise. Before we jump into the episode, let's say hello to Cheryl Horn and find out what's happening at Business of Design. We're so glad you're here. Cheryl, hey. So can you believe it? We finally have a couple of lawyers coming on the podcast to talk about the million dollar question, which is what are we going to do about all the restraints on designers who would like to procure goods and services like me? Finally, it's happening. I know. And that's, that's been a work in progress for years now. These are not the first two lawyers that you've spoken with on this, on this topic, but it sounds like you finally got information that's worth sharing out of these meetings, at least. Some information, no, no perfect solution across the board, but there you go. Yeah. Some ideas to work with. And I mean, everybody would need to consult locally anyway. I mean, that's what makes this so difficult is that, you know, province to province, state to state, country to country. It's just different everywhere. And you really have to make sure you're working within your own guidelines. So, you know, these episodes are going to be really good, but then, you know, (laughs) consult locally. They are. All of this makes my head spin. Tell me something that won't make my head spin. Well, I was going to tell you about boss, but I don't know if that's the one that's not going to make your head spin because when we talk boss, we get to financial. So that can be (laughs) equally overwhelming. No, but then I just go to Larry for that, our CFO. I'm just like, over to you, Larry. Looks good to me. I have no idea what I'm looking at. Over to you. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Just outsource it. Just outsource it. But as the boss, you do want to understand what you're looking at and all of the nitty gritty that, um, you know, builds up to your bottom line. So um, in any case, if you are interested in BOSS, we do have an information session coming up next week on May 4th. It's at 1 p.m. EST. We are asking you to register to attend so that we know who will be on the call. And we're going to be answering all of the questions. We'll start, you know, by providing an outline of what BOSS is, who qualifies to participate, and what you can expect when you're part of that group. And uh, we'll also open it up to questions to make sure that you know exactly what you're signing up for, for those who haven't uh, completed the application process yet. 
You know, it's so interesting. Uh, we got a lot of applications the first uh, for our first group, and I would say um, the one some of the people who were hesitant to apply were like, "Are you kidding me? Apply today! You're perfect. Don't even think about it." And then other people who had never even taken a business of design course did apply and we're like, no, you're not ready yet. And um, I think we really discouraged those people we told we're not ready yet, but to become ready to be a boss is actually fairly simple. It requires that you complete the BOD 15, which is how many hours of learning, Cheryl? It's about a 20 hour program. Okay. Uh, that Now that's taking the program. That's not implementing the right. program, which, which is half the half of it, but uh, it's about but if, 20 hours to get through the program. That's right. But if you have taken it and not yet implemented, being part of a bar, boss group will ensure you do implement because your boss, fellow boss members will insist on it. Yes. And I mean, a lot of people always ask how long does it take? And I mean, 20 hours is the you know, the, the video length, but, um, you know, we've got so many different types of members. Some will just power through implement as they go and they really can achieve that within a few months, six months, and they're doing it. Whereas others, uh, really do implement, you know, over the course of a single project or things like that. And then you're implementing based on the timeline of that project when you're applying it to, um, you know, that schedule. So uh, again, that's going to be on May 4th, 1 p.m. EST. Uh, it'll be a Zoom meeting. We'll open it up to everyone for questions. Uh, we Again, we are asking you to register to attend that one. So, and that'll be great because we'll be coming off uh, our second meeting with the first group. So we'll have a lot of feedback from that as well to share. Oh my gosh, so much. This is so good. Yeah. Did you just say I was going to be in Dallas? I didn't know. I said we had just, you'll, we will have just wrapped up the second meeting for our first group. So we'll have feedback from that. Meeting. Okay. Everybody's wondering why I wasn't paying attention because somebody's at my door. Somebody's yeah. at the door. So I'm like, I'm just sneaking away while you're talking. But uh, anyway, yes, I'm very excited about that. In fact, I have a suitcase on the floor in front of me. I'm getting ready to go to Dallas. What's the weather like in Dallas? I, it's crazy everywhere. I don't know. You and Janine are going to be heading to that one without me, but uh, I'm looking forward to being part of future meetings. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Well, thank you. This is great. And I told everybody this episode is being divided into two. There's a MoBOD episode, which is MoBOD 25, right? Yes. So that episode will go live same day as the public episode. So if you're listening in and you want to learn more, um, from from the lawyers that are going to be speaking, that's going to be a separate uh, members-only episode, and you'll be uh, directed to log into your members' account in order to continue listening and get the uh, you know the extra little tidbits that we kept just for our members. Yes, we are using our leverage to motivate you to become a member. Do become a member. Yeah, we'd love to have you. And of course, if you ever have questions about membership, you've been a long time that, you know, that seems to be the entryway for most of our members. I get phone calls saying I've been a member for, or I've been a podcast listener for so long. And, you know, I just have these couple of questions before I become a member. So um, please do reach out to me. I'm happy to answer any questions. It's a big part of what I do here at Business of Design. I love talking to new members and longtime members. So please join us. Awesome. Thank you, Cheryl. It's great to see your face. Yeah, you too. I'll talk to you soon. I'll right. answer your door. Uh, yeah, exactly.
Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. We have the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to consistently satisfy clients, increase profitability, and run your projects like a boss. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to hundreds of targeted training modules, plus member perks like BOD Live events, member-only podcasts, preferred pricing, and the support of an engaged community of peers. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. And now, back to the show. Jamie, I'm so excited to speak to you finally. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, you, if you saw the list of questions I have for you, you would never have agreed to come on the show. I hear that a lot. Do you? Okay, good, yeah. good, good. So we have a whole number of things we can talk about. We are not going to get them all in one podcast. But I thought with your permission, I would like to start with the burning question that every single designer I know has, and you might not be able to solve it for us in a one-hour podcast, but let's at least have a conversation about it and then figure out what next steps are in terms of you and I working together. Does that sound okay? That sounds great. Okay. This is the problem we're running into. We are a huge body of interior design professionals. Many are single solopreneurs who work from home but have a robust business. Some have two or three or more employees and have an office and have a robust business. Some are just starting out. Some are have been doing it a long time, but they haven't caught traction. But the thing we all have in common is interior design. And here is the multi-million dollar dilemma. More and more states, more and more provinces, uh, more and more countries, including Australia, are coming up with new laws that will not allow the interior design professional to procure items on behalf of a client or hire trades on behalf of a client. And this is becoming more and more of a problem. It, It means that we don't have control of the project. It means that we We are in some cases forced to work with some supplier we don't know, who we can't vet whether or not they're any good at their job. Um, And it's really causing a lot of stress and confusion. And the only idea that anybody has come up with yet is we have to become our own general contractors. So I know that's like a huge ball to throw at you. Hi, welcome to the show. Boom. (laughs) Let's solve the problem. Yeah. Can we break (laughs) it down a little? And hopefully you know a lot about this because I don't. So I think I'll say this. Um, I work with a lot of interior design clients who come to me. Um, They haven't framed it quite in this way. Many of them are actually framing it to me in a way where they just don't want to be in the middle anymore. So it's less about concerns about laws that are being passed. And I can't speak to other countries. I'm only, you know, well-versed in U.S. law and some state-specific questions I can't even answer. So we're just going to obviously talk sort of generally. Right. I think there's, well, one, you can become a general contractor and each state is different. Some states you pay a fee and you're a general contractor. Other states, there's massive tests and it's a very sort of long process. Apprenticeships. Yeah, exactly. It's very state by state. So you'd need to look at the state where you live and see what that looks like. Sometimes it's just getting the right insurance. Like I was, I've been very surprised by the number of clients I've spoken to, how the, the requirements are different in so many different places. So you do definitely need to know your state's requirements. But 
But for argument's sake, we could say, let's say that these laws have passed everywhere. It's uniform. What are we going to do? So I think the answer is obviously one of two things. You become a general contractor or you have a really amazing contract (laughs) that essentially protects you from those what ifs that you're talking about, which is I don't control these service professionals. I don't control these service providers and I don't know who you're buying from. And so you have to if this becomes a barrier to your business, there's not much you can do to change the laws unless you want to go into lobbying. Um, But what you can do is reframe how you deal with clients and reframe how you are going to provide those services and how you're going to protect yourself in that way through your contract. Okay. So first of all, I like, I was afraid you were going to say that. So we're going to, if we can break it down into two parts, the one part is going to be about that professional who doesn't want to be in the middle, who's willing to have her client be the project manager and deal directly with the plumber, the electrician, the tiler, the contractor. So that is definitely one part of the conversation we're going to have. And then I'm going to push and we are going to have the second part of the conversation, which is no, damn it. I want control of the project and I can deliver a better product when I do have control. But we'll put that one aside because the first one's a bit easier, right? Yeah. So what do we need to know if we decide we don't want to be in the middle? So if you don't want to be in the middle, I think it's just important to lay that groundwork from the very beginning, right? You need to make sure that your client understands that this is not part of the services that you're providing, um, but that you'll assist and that you, you can still be a part of the process, even if you're not liable for it or responsible for it. You're allowed to be a part of the communications from what I understand. It's not like you're completely walled off and you're not allowed to know anything. It's just you can't be in the middle with money changing hands and signing contracts and in total control of it. So... You know, one of the problems with that is that that all sounds great in theory, but when a problem happens, and by problem I mean litigation, the designer still gets sued. Only the designer doesn't have any money because they haven't been the person who's managed the trades. And I've seen that firsthand from a number of design professionals in Canada and the U.S. who have found themselves in a lawsuit in a situation just like that, and they call me in tears and say it's not fair and that it's not fair but that's life and so my feeling is I would rather have control of everybody it gives me a much better chance that I'm never going to get sued first of all um, than to find myself in a lawsuit on a project I don't have any money in any of that so it's an interesting perspective I actually think being out of the equation gives you a better chance of not being sued. And that's actually been my experiences. Um, When you're in the middle, when you take money from a trade, you are the, and you are the one signing the agreement with the trade and you are the only person that your client is contracting with. You're it. You're the only one that can be sued because there's no what's called privity, which is a contract term, meaning I have a relationship with a contractual relationship. There's no privity between your client and the tradesperson. And so you're it. You're on, on the chopping block no matter what. If there are multiple contracts in place, then you actually have a better shot of not getting sued because they're going to go after um, the person who actually performed the work, particularly if you're not in the middle of it. Um, unfortunately, as an entrepreneur or someone who owns their own business, part of the cost of doing business is you have the potential to get sued. Nobody wants that. We do everything we can to avoid it, which is why I'm such a good proponent of really clear communications, keeping stuff in emails, not allowing things to get too personal, and having a really, really, really good contract that is very, very clear. Um, and so I think that 
when you are the only one who's in who's contracting, that is where I see in my like legal practice those issues arise. When I have clients who require their their clients, my designer clients require their clients to contract directly with the tradespeople, um, those relationships are not governed by the designer. And I understand there's a control issue, and I'm not saying that you may not get swept up in a lawsuit, but that's also why you have insurance. Um, and so it is really smart to have really good business insurance uh, to make sure that you do, if you don't have any money, you do get, you know, provided you have good business insurance and you've complied with their terms, then you will get defense sometimes in those suits. Um, so that's another good way to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, I've had the experience somewhere between five times and 10 times where the designer has phoned me and they were in that situation where the client was dealing directly with the trades. But when it came time to litigate, the lawyers look around and they say, who's got insurance? Well, she does. So sure. she's getting sued even though she's really not the person we should be suing, we know that there's money in that insurance. So yeah. I, my feeling has always been I would rather take full responsibility, have a really good contract, have incredible insurance, and be completely and totally responsible in the event of a lawsuit. Because I know if I work with my A-team, those trades I've used over and over again many, many times who satisfy a hundred percent of my clients, very slim possibility I'm going to get sued. But on those occasions where I've worked with a client who has hired her own trades, I am always I always find myself in a position of being the scapegoat. Every time something goes wrong, the trade throws the designer under the bus. Oh, the dumb designer told me to do that, whether or not it's true, right? Sure. I can understand that. I think, you know, there's unfortunately just I hate to say it, there's just not much you can do to avoid that when you're when you're not in that position. I mean, like I said, you know, having really good contracts, presumably if you do get sued or even there's the threat of a suit, usually like if a client does get like a claim type of letter saying, hey, let's settle this. Because before you get hit with a lawsuit, nine times out of 10, you know it's coming. So at minimum, you've had a conversation with your attorney or your attorneys talk to that other attorney. And if you have a really solid contract, this isn't to say everybody's true, and you are able to point very clearly to how you would get out of that suit really, really fast, um, the lawsuit may not end up happening just because you're able to sort of point to the provisions where you say like, it was clear what they signed and this isn't even going to pass muster and it's really not worth your time, effort, and energy. And that happens. I do that on behalf of clients pretty frequently when there is a potential conflict, you know, pre-litigation negotiation can go a long way. So if... If that does happen, you know, don't ignore it. <laughs> um, please uh, contact your lawyer or your insurance, and oftentimes they can, you know, sort of settle it or or show why there is or should not be any liability. Because you can't. It's understandable. Like anybody can get sued, and that's a tough part of the litigious society we're in. And we can definitely <laughs> go down that path right. of talking about why that's wrong and why none of us, that shouldn't be. But unfortunately, there are really bad lawyers in this world who will do it, and they're predatory. Um, but if you have a good lawyer on your side, I can tell you that I stop a lot of those predatory lawyers in their tracks because 
they see that there's somebody on the other side who's going to fight it, who knows what they're talking about, and that's not who they're interested in, in sort of dealing with. Such wise words for sure. And another reason, everybody, I hope you're listening to this, you need to raise your fees so that in the event something like this happens, it's no big deal to phone your lawyer. It's yeah. just part of doing business and you've got money put aside. And it's. I'm so glad you said that, that very often, even when things get heated and everything's gone wrong and you know some clients get hot-headed and I'm going to sue you, it very often never comes to anything, but it's still terrifying to be on the receiving end of a threat like that. I totally agree with you. I mean, people throw, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to contact my lawyer as if they're saying, hello, how are you? It is just, we're just by its nature in society, we've sort of been, you know, this is, this is how we get our recourse. But at the end of the day, you really don't want to get caught up in a lawsuit. Like they're brutal on all sides, not just on your side as the business owner, but it's really hard on the client as well. So, you know, hopefully once tempers have, have calmed, people tend usually tend to come to their senses and say, okay, this is just not worth it. Let's find a way to fix this. Um, and sometimes as, as a, as an, as a business owner, you just have to make those concessions. They, it stinks. I don't minimize it at all. Like I, I own my own business. I, I understand how painful that is when someone comes to you, you're like, I literally did nothing wrong, but you know what? Right. This is not worth the fight. Let's figure out a way to make this go away. And we're just going to call this a cost of doing business. What are the things we can do if we decide to go that path? I don't, for, for, I mean, this is not in your wheelhouse, but I don't know how you make enough money if you don't also make money on the trades and services and goods you're providing for clients. Because to just make a living on hourly fees is, is, is you know, you can do it, but you can't make a great living. You can make an okay living. There's only so many hours in a day, right? Sure. So we're putting that aside. Let's say you're just, you don't have the stomach for it. You don't want to be the lead on the project. You just want to get along with everyone. What are the things you can do when you're on a job site to protect yourself from getting caught in the middle? Because even if your contract says, I don't advise, I don't consult, I don't whatever, you know, you're on what happened to one of the people I coach, she was on site regularly for meetings and the plumber said to her, according to the plumber, he says, he told her one day, I'm fixing the such and such valve on the toilet in the master bathroom. And she goes, great. And when it flooded, the whole thing got turned around to she told him to do that thing, Mm. which was ridiculous, right? So I don't know how to protect myself. Even being on the job site and saying, good morning, Joe, seems like it opens me up to liability. I think uh, those instances can are fewer and far between. We hear about them a lot because they're so salacious and they're so shocking. And you're like, oh my gosh. And it makes you think about every single interaction you've ever had over the course of your 15 years in business kind of thing. I don't think those end up turning into lawsuits as frequently. They do. I'm not saying that they don't. Um, I think that having really good notes and just keeping track of who you've talked to and just making sure that you're taking down and, and confirming actual, you know, um, projects that, or parts of the project that you're working on in writing, in emails, like don't, don't, 
communicate through text message. You know, make sure that you have very official emails that go back and forth. Like I have a lot of clients now who are putting in their contracts, like this is the way to communicate with me. The only thing that you can text me about is meeting times. Otherwise, if you do text me about something substantive, because I've had clients who have dealt with procurement through text and then all of a sudden the client, I yeah, know, <laughs> but it happens, right? You know, you're, you're on the go and you're in five different jobs and you're running all over and you're in your car and your client says, I want that rug. And you go, okay. And then you don't save it. And then you go and you buy it. And the client goes, I didn't want that one. I wanted the other one. And it's just, that's what happens when we are busy or overcommitted. And so sometimes it's making sure your processes are really good, which is sort of less about legal, but keep all those communications in email so that you have, or how, whatever your system is, like a written system, sign-offs, check-offs. And I would say, you know, at the outset, I will not be directing your tradespeople unless you're there. So if you're standing there so you can witness it and you ask for my opinion, that's fine, but I'm not directing them. So it's on you to direct them. I can give advice and counsel, but you're going to be standing there. So that to me, him, her saying great just seems really like, that's just, that's just a really predatory lawyer who that shouldn't be. Um, and I hate that she deals with that. Well, the plumber probably misconstrued the conversation, you know, and because he was covering himself. So he's, that's what he was doing. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's, you always yeah. see how they get there, but it's lousy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I am I can be great at communication and I can follow up every single meeting with an email, but you've got five projects on the go. You've got to make three job site visits and the day comes that you don't write down every single thing that happened on a job site yeah. and your communication strategy is out the window and you're so right about text. We tell clients we do not accept text messages. Text messages are reserved for family and friends. Everybody else is on email because that's how that works but I get text messages from clients mm. like there and you typically think of a lawyer as a more formal relationship um, but even I get clients who will text me I'm like please don't send no. privileged yeah. or client communications through text I can't acknowledge this and I, I'm going to delete this message and I'm going to tell you like you have to send it but then I got to screenshot it and then I have to put it in their file and this is just what I have to do to protect myself because it's the same you know any anything can happen absolutely and it's funny you know the clients that I've said that to have been so understanding they totally get it when I say this is reserved for you know family and friends oh okay totally sorry no problem so it's not really that big of a deal but you do have Mm -hmm. to be very strict on it right I sometimes let myself fall on the sword too where I'll say I'm afraid I'm going to lose it you know, this is the way that I keep my record keeping. And if you send this to me, I'm afraid something's going to go wrong and I don't want that to happen for you. Yeah. It's really how you communicate, you know, with your clients. And, you know, a lot of it is boundaries. I find that, you know, this is an illegal conversation and I know that's why you want to have me chatting, but it's a boundary thing, you know, being able to stand up and say, this is my role. This is my responsibility. You also have a responsibility not to let that blur. And even when you want to please your client and even, you know, you do have to think about protecting yourself. Yeah. Boundaries are a legal issue. I mean, a lot of times, right? I mean, that's what your contract is. It's a bunch of boundaries. So yes. Yeah. Really great advice. Jamie, how can we all get in touch with you? 
So my law firm is hashtag legal and we can be found at hashtag legal.com. You can email me directly. Um, Jamie is J-A-M-I-E at hashtag legal.com. And we are also on Instagram because I have a lot of fun on Instagram. <laughs> and oh. hashtag, yeah, it's so much fun. Hashtag underscore legal. We try to make it fun and funny and we do it with a bit of a sense of humor is the hope because that's sort of my personality. So Okay, as soon as we hang too. up, I'm checking out your Insta account. That's You'll have such... to tell me if you like it. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community and supporting BOD's mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. It's time for you to take the next step and join Business of Design. Like thousands of design professionals in 50 countries around the world, you'll find the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. What are you waiting for? Start today.